Well, my biggest surprise is something that didn't happen. Welcome to a very special holiday episode of Fault Lines, the National Security Institute's podcast that explores the disagreements between the political left and right on issues of national security and foreign policy. We are calling this the Festivus edition. We are all wearing Festivus gear and engaged in something we normally don't do, eating and drinking during the show. We have some of your favorite panelists here around the table to wrap up an amazing year, 2021, and bridge to what we hope is a substantially better year in 2022. Today we have Matthew Ferraro, counsel of the international law firm Wilmer Cutler Pickering Hale and Door, Rob Walker, visiting NSI fellow and executive director of the Homeland Security Experts Group, Martha Miller, a Washington-based policy consultant, an analyst focusing on U.S. foreign policy, political freedom, and U.S.-Germany relations, Andrea Little-Limbago, Vice President of Research and Analysis at Interos, Jamil Jaffer, NSI Founder and Executive Director and former Chief Counsel and Senior Advisor to the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, Andy Kaiser, Principal at Navigators Global, Carmen Medina, NSI Advisory Board Member and former Deputy Director of Intelligence at the Central Intelligence Agency, Matthew Hyman, a Senior Fellow at NSI and the Chairman of the Cyber and Privacy Working Group of the Regulatory Transparency Project, and myself, Lester Munson, Senior Fellow at NSI and the former staff director of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. We're going to ask each person here uh, three questions. The first question for everyone is, what is the biggest national security story of 2021? Matt Ferraro, I'm going to you first. All right, Les, well, it's great to be here with everyone and uh, happy holidays to all. So I was thinking about this question and I could answer, of course, the rise of China, the deadly pullout from Afghanistan, Russian revanchism. There are a lot of topics, but the more I thought about it, the more I realized that this, uh, the largest, the most important national security challenge has less to do with what's beyond our shores and so much more to do with what's within ourselves. And by that, I mean the unity or disunity of our people and the rising anti-democratic movement in our own country. And I can get more into that, but basically my feeling is that uh, it, it cuts to the core of everything because we are so strong. If you look at the country and other metrics, right? We have uh, GDP of twenty-one trillion dollars. We have an average annualized growth rate of about four percent. Unemployment is down. Wages are up. We have the strongest alliances on the planet. So we can get all of that stuff right. But if we fail in our most basic societal mission to maintain a unified and democratic society, then I think it's all for not. And we basically, I wrote this in the skiff, but we can't join hands against common foes if we're always at each other's throat. And so I really do think that Lincoln was right when he said uh, that if we were to, uh, if we're going to we live, live a thousand years or die by suicide. And I just think that is ever true this year. And I will say the most salient example of that, of course, is January 6th, but it's gotten so much worse over the past 11 to 12 months, uh, as these delusions have set in. And we've seen this growing movement away from our democratic ideals. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Was that Lincoln or Shakespeare? Well, that was that was Lincoln, I think. Yeah, but I was right, thinking we'll I'm, I'm thinking the Lyceum <laughs> speech where he said, "You know, the, uh, Napoleon will ever take, take a, a, a sip of the uh, of the Shen, you know, the rivers of America or lay a tract in the in the Blue Ridge if we will, we will live forever as free men or die by suicide, something like that." So I have a feeling uh, other folks are going to have similar 
answers to this question. I know, I know I am. And we had kind of come up with a rule that you can't repeat the answer. So, so Matt covered a lot of ground on that. I think if you want to dive, <laughs> he took all the answers. You like held the one that he actually stuck with, right? He listed a bunch of options. So right. uh, Abraham Lincoln quote is now ruled out further. <laughs> yes. No one can quote Lincoln. All right. This up on my phone now. Rob Walker, Rob Walker, biggest story, national security for 2021. Um, the biggest national security story of 2021, uh, mine is that I was really surprised to see how disorganized the Biden administration personnel rollout was. Um, you know, we, we saw in 2016 the election of uh, an individual who was not inside of a party apparatus and didn't really have the backing of a traditional party behind him to roll out you know, a full and fast administration as quickly as possible. Also like common sense. Uh, well, Yes. <laughs> Here we had the polar opposite of a party apparatchik, you know, long like long time uh what, 70 year Democrat or whatever. Um, a party man uh <laughs> had, had the full apparatus behind him. And yet there were uh continuous fits and starts along the way of rolling out even the key top national security apparatus personnel. Uh, and we're still trying to get some through. Now we can fault that on the administration and the transition teams and the presidential personnel office, all of that stuff. And we can also lay the blame at the, at the feet of the Senate. Um, various people are, are slow rolling many of the nominations, uh, including key ambassadorships, Nick Burns to China among them. So uh, that's been my biggest surprise. Like we expected normalcy to return. We expected the adults to come back into the room. Uh, and we didn't quite see it at a pace that um, I expected at least out of somebody who was really um, deeply ingrained in these processes and, and understanding of how the, the system works. Martha Miller, what's your big story? I will take the one that might be on many people's minds, which is Afghanistan. The really disorganized pullout of Afghanistan, in my opinion, uh, emboldened our enemies, uh, particularly Putin, who is now, uh, you know, has troops, you know, tanks, military equipment on the, you know, borders of, of Ukraine. And, and also uh, domestically, this really undercut people's confidence in the commander-in-chief to take care of our, our men and women in uniform, uh, and particularly the people who put themselves on the line who are not U.S. nationals, uh, people who help us achieve our mission. President Biden's approval rating has not really recovered since no. Afghanistan. Andrea Little Limbago, Dr. Limbago. Yes. So I will uh, build upon Matthews, but take it a bit globally. So I, I think in many ways it was the year of the coup. And so it wasn't you know, January 6th, kicked us off uh, a couple months ago in September. So we, there was Guinea, but there also was Myanmar, Sudan. Um, Haiti had an assassination. It's not a coup, but you know, kind yeah. of decapitation of leadership. And uh, following, there were a couple of you know, in 2020 as well, but I think that that is just indicative of a broader global decline in democracy. And so when you have something happen in the United States that is that big of a deal and seeing the response we've had so far, I do think it opens up the gates for other, to empower other countries that think that they could do it as well. It's not the, you know, not the direct causality of it, but I think it just helps accelerate other lines of thinking. And so we have seen just a lot more coups going on, I think, across the globe this year. I think that those will have ripple effects, both in, you know, for stability, but also just leads to empowering some of the, you know, the, the authoritarian leaders as well. Jamil Jaffer. Um, you know, look, I think the biggest national security story of the year is the one that hasn't quite 
come to pass yet. And that is the extensive threats that China has made towards Taiwan, the flying over of, of dozens upon dozens upon dozens of fighter jets, uh, the constant pressure that China is putting on Taiwan. Um, I think that chicken is going to come home to roost in 2022. And I, and I worry about that because the Chinese have watched our departure in Afghanistan. They've watched the Russians build up troops on the borders of Ukraine with, with little cost and only cost to be imposed after the fact. And um, I think that we're likely to see uh, a potential move uh, in that direction by the Chinese. Uh, and I think that if you would ask anybody a decade ago, nobody would thought that was even in the cards because it was clear the U.S. would stand up for our ally, um, even if we were uh, shying away from, from world development a decade ago. Um, we would at least consider steaming aircraft carrier today. It, 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 to, to be fair to President Biden, he has done more than the Trump administration did, which is that he steamed destroyers through the strait. Um, uh, but at the same time, I'm not sure that, that Vladimir Putin takes him seriously when it comes to a response to Ukraine. And I'm not sure President Xi takes him seriously when it comes to, well, anything. Andy Kaiser wearing uh, a fabulous uh, kind of deep red velvet sport coat that uh, makes me think I got to call my tailor. <laughs> what's, yeah, what's, the, what's the biggest story of this year? Well, when you have a jacket like this, you have to wear it when you can because yeah. you know it only can come out Amen. once or twice Amen. a year. Um, I would probably build off Jamil's and uh, pull out a little bit on more of a just the general geopolitical rebalancing that's occurring in Asia. Um, you saw this early in 2021 with the border conflict with India uh, that started in, in, in 20, rolled into 21. I mean, 20 people were killed in clashes on the border. You have this, you know, obviously the world's biggest democracy, the world's largest country, most populated country, um, increasingly at odds where you have the Indian government declaring you know, unwinding their reliance on Chinese tech mm -hmm. in, in a very strategic and meaningful way to the rest of the world. That's just one example. You have Japan uh, offering to come to the aid of Taiwanese. You have Australia doing the same. I mean, these were, these were not messages you heard uh, two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. So I think I, I would kind of build off of Jamil's just this general rebalancing of geopolitical uh, activity uh, in Asia and what that means. And I think it's only going in one direction and that's probably in a concerning one for all of us. Carmen Medina. I uh, like to look at little things. And when you think about what the biggest story was in 2021, we won't know for a while, right? So history will determine that. So I'm going to offer you the farmers in India forcing the Indian government to back away from its plans to sort of inject modern capitalism into the mm. agriculture sector mm. of India. And what I think is particularly interesting is how they did it. It was a woman-led movement, very, very poor people. There's a great uh, article in this website that I just discovered called Crime Think, ends with a C, not a K, that is sort of a pro-anarchy. Uh, website <laughs> and it's like the platform that is collecting that sort of anarchist anti-oppressive government energy in the world and I found the article well found what happened very compelling <clears throat> and the analysis in the article that the farmers in India have taught us have shown us how we can collectively self-organize to defeat the bad guys the evil empire mm. 
And I think that it could become a big story because I think a lot of governments are overextended because of COVID. There's a lot of debt on the table. Argentina is having to go to the IMF. Turkey is doing whatever they're doing economically. And so I think this idea of popular revolt and just unwillingness to do what the elites say is good for them is the biggest story of 2021 and exemplified by the farmers in India. All right, Matthew Hyman, can you match that Vox Populi? <laughs> That's the biggest story of the year. No, uh, but I will offer what I think is, um, to me, the most uh, remarkable kind of national security story of 2021. And, and I'm taking a very U.S. focus on this, but I'd call it um, operational and um operational incompetence within the Biden administration. This is a theme that someone else around the table sort of picked up on in the context of appointments, but it it is highlighted in the Afghanistan pullout. Uh, It's clear that the president knew he was going to pull out. And I don't think the pullout itself is the story. It's just the staggering incompetence at every phase in every department at every political level of the executive branch and the execution of what everyone knew was coming and no one seemed to give any thought to how to do it, how to coordinate it, how to talk to allies, how to extract our people and the people on the ground that helped us there. It was just amazing, particularly against the backdrop of a man that spent his entire career thinking about national security issues and all Being the, on the wrong people. side of them. According to Bob Gates. According to Bob Gates. I, and and I don't I don't I don't argue with Bob Gates on that front, but in any event, <laughs> um, you know, and he had this collection of national security people around him that have lots of experience. And to see this team of supposed pros who are going to bring sanity to national security problem solving, to see them botch it this yeah. badly was just to me a remarkably scary story for 2021 and it gives me extreme pause putting aside the fact that i was already predisposed to disagree with most Biden administration national security priorities just extreme pause about how can they possibly execute anything else of substance going forward if they couldn't do that well no price nobody nobody was held accountable not a single firing so for my biggest national security story of 2021, I'm going to go with the insurrection on January 6th, <clears throat> which I know was not strictly. It's already taken. Already no, taken. I don't know. I don't think that's true. What what uh, Matt talked about was kind of a broad questioning of de- democratic values. I'm talking about the <laughs> oh specific episode. And to be fair to me, the way I did was to reserve the right for me to bring this up as my I think, yeah. biggest story. I plus one, plus a little more. So, anyway, I think so, uh, so for me, that's the issue that has been part of every other thing that has happened this year. We could, we could not have done anything else that would have more questions our allies uh, trust in us and our steadfastness on the democracy and rule of law question than what happened. You remember the fact that we sacrificed it on a single day yeah. at the U.S. Capitol and it's such an all away. incredibly stupid manner. Uh, I think if, if you're looking for a silver lining in it, the virtue is that we saw up close and personal for several hours exactly what the nature of the Trump administration was. And I think a lot of it, and I count myself as someone who was surprised that things went that far. Uh, I think other people were surprised, but at least we got it out there. We know what we're dealing I mean, with now, and we can take steps to make sure it doesn't happen. And when we learn this week that Donald Trump Jr. 
was surprised and called exactly. for the president yeah. to be at, to be exactly. a leader and pull it back. Well, furious text to the chief of staff begging, right. please tell yeah. dad to do something. <laughs> maybe he, maybe he didn't wasn't able to text Sean Hannity more reasonable than Donald Trump. Yeah. Really, <laughs> I mean that is, that is shocking. So, all right, so that's so we just went around on the biggest story of 2021. We're now going to um, kind of fantasy football draft style snake back in the other direction and do uh, and have everyone answer the second question, which what which was your biggest surprise? What do you say is the biggest surprise story of 2021? And I and I'm going to go first, and I'm going to say that I was surprised at how much President Biden is like President Trump in his national security. Yes! Oh, wow. Yes! And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Fair point. Not, not in every way, of course, but in significant ways. This president is just like the last president. He's making an appeal to the American working class, even a, even a little more explicitly than Trump is in some ways. He's anti-free trade. He's kept up tariffs on Canada. He's kept up tariffs on the EU, although there's been some progress on that front. He's kept every single tariff on China, even those that are to the detriment of American consumers and American manufacturers. Uh, he has been awkward in his coordination with allies, which none of us were expecting. Uh, and also his withdrawal from Afghanistan was probably the most Trump-like thing he did yes, all yes. year. Uh, again, we're all surprised at how bad it was, uh, much like um, my previous answer on January 6th. So that is that is my surprise story of 2021. But was, he followed but, but, through on things yeah. Trump wished he like said he yeah. would do, but didn't do. Yeah. No, but but I think what's interesting, what's even more interesting is, is specifically as you dive into Afghanistan. On your, to your point, last right, not only did he make a rash gut instinct decision, the same way Trump would have, right? He doubled down on it when 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 it was clear that it wasn't going well. He told the American people everything's fine when it clearly was not, and then he took responsibility while blaming everybody <laughs> but himself for the entire problem. Yeah. I mean, straight yeah. out of the Donald Trump playbook. Joe Biden. I mean, it, it is laughable. And by the way, and the best part about it is, just like Trump, no self-reflection that he just behaved like Donald Trump. <laughs> and not taking his best national security advice. Yeah. yeah. No, reject, no. Yes. Rejecting, rejecting it out of it. hand. Yeah. Ignoring the generals. Because well, it, didn't make, it didn't meet his mold mm-hmm. of how things were going to go. Including active criticism yeah. of military leadership. Yes. Making yes. a slightly different blaming, but in basically oh, yeah. the same way Trump did. Yeah. Blaming our closest right. allies, throwing them mm-hmm. under the bus. Yes. You know, well, well the, yeah, it's, 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 it's the Afghans' fault. They only lost 60,000 people. <laughs> we lost 3,000. It's their fault. They wouldn't fight for their own country. Oh, well, yeah, don't don't forget about the the <clears throat> Americans who left in. Well, you know they have families in Afghanistan. They don't really want to come to the United States. I mean, is that is that right. code? For, what is that code for? I think I know what that's code for. And I thought I thought the Democrats were good on this stuff. They're not they're not race baiting at all. Oh, or 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 you know or, or religion baiting at all. No, Biden Joe Biden would never do that. Oh wait. Except he did. <laughs> so Joe Biden specifically campaigned on restoring American leadership in the world. Yep. Whoever replaces him is going to have to campaign on the same thing. <laughs> All right. Over to you, Matthew. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that it's the biggest surprise of the year, um, but I, I'm, I'm continually, and I mentioned this on a previous podcast, I'm surprised that there is a modern, there is a leader of a country today that thinks that um, that that completely is in opposition to any rational thought about how economies work. And I'm talking about Erdogan and Turkey. Mm-hmm. And this idea that 
you know, a flailing lira um, can be uh, helped by the policies he's promoting, and uh, and and the way to the way to get value in your currency back is to keep interest rates staggeringly low. Is just it's a fascinating view, and and I. And while some, while I understand dictators will do odd things, it's here it's odd to hear him saying no. This is actually the formula for success, rather than just doing it quietly and sort of ignoring IMF, World Bank, and other <laughs> world leaders. So, I mean, to me, that was a real surprise to see someone just really sort of in almost a Don Quixote like way, sort of just tilt right against the windmill of common sense. Excellent yep. uh, macroeconomic yep. uh, lateral move there, yeah. Mr. Hunt. I have been to Turkey and didn't remember that it was the lira. I literally looked it up because I'm like, yeah, the lira, <laughs> right? And Chernob, he was totally yes. right. Yep. Carmen, your biggest surprise. <laughs> well, my biggest surprise is something that didn't happen, which is that no government has ended up handling COVID well. I mean, when we entered 2021, people were saying, hey, New Zealand, super great, and a lot of the Asian countries, they're doing much better than us. And Biden's going to do better than Trump. And we all know that, I will say, really, through no fault of Biden, just because of the way disease works, more Americans have died in 2021 than have died in 2020. So I think the fact that nobody could handle COVID should inject some humility and uh, in, in the way we all think about what government can or cannot do and uh, sort of understand that, you know, we are inhabitants of this little piece of rock that orbits the sun and there's all this natural biology that's going on and we don't control, you know, we don't control one fingernail of it when you get right down to it. This isn't medical advice, but I got Delta. <laughs> I recommend people get Omicron. <laughs> you're thinking about getting the virus. Don't get Delta. I got uh, an Alpha. I, I got the original. I, yeah. I was an early adopter of the trend. Yeah. I think that <laughs> might, might have been a bad move. Uh, no, I survived, so it was a good move, right? <laughs> Andy Kaiser. Okay, I think it's not actually close. So mine, I'm glad it still survived. This Australian... Uh, uh, French UK spat mm. over the sub deal. Oh. Unthinkable that you would have, you know, major <laughs> Western democracies. Yeah. Well, major Western <laughs> democracies withdrawing ambassadors and this like, you know, huge rift uh, of, you know, diplomatic uh, puffery uh, was all very interesting. Very surprising how that shook out. Again, we're all like, you know, I, I think during the Bush years, especially, we were against our allies because we didn't do exactly what the French and the Germans wanted us to do at every step. And for them to poke directly, like one of the leaders of the, uh, of NATO and, um, you know, key Western ally and to see it shake out in such a public spat was astounding. What's your surprise? So I think the biggest uh, national security surprise of the year is the fact that, the Biden administration is not back in the Iran nuclear deal. I mean, this is an administration that came in, committed mm. to getting back into it, and gave up their leverage early on in, in an effort to get back in, and, and actually, kind of shockingly, has had the cojones to not get right back in, and has stayed away, and had, they've actually avoided the biggest flaw of the Obama administration, which was negotiate, negotiate, and just give and give and give at the till to the Iranians, 
they've actually, after giving the first time, have been sort of helped a line. And, and I'm actually kind of grudgingly impressed. I, what? I, what? <laughs> Are you being will, nice on the, on the Iran? I will, what is going him? on? I will, I will say that I don't think it will last. The duck okay. is coming. They are dying for this deal. When the, as we've, as we've, your office. Right? As, we, as, we have, as we've discussed at this table repeatedly, the Biden administration's foreign policy has been an utter disaster, like the Obama administration's before it. And so they're looking for a win <laughs> And this may be the one, and they may, just like the Obama administration, give and give and give to get to it. Uh, but at least as of right now, they appear to be holding the line, which is not what I expected. You never know, though, that it is the Christmas season, and maybe Joe Biden will be in a giving spirit. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, the, uh, the, uh, the uh, uh, Ayatollah Sistani will be the beneficiary of a, of a Christmas miracle from, uh, from one, <laughs> one Joe Biden. We shall see. Andrea, what's your surprise? I thought Andy was going to take it, but then uh, I'll fill up on it so you get nervous for a minute. Um, that I think Australia is leading the way and pushing back on China. Mm-hmm. Yes, they are, aren't they? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, they, they are far. And like, even things that we're doing, they did first. They yeah. were the first to ban Huawei. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so like they were able to do like a global campaign to get everyone to buy Australian wine. I did. I got my friends <laughs> to buy Australian wine. Yeah. We all did it. <laughs> and the submarine, the submarine to play that's mm-hmm. a big aspect of it. And so right. I, I think that they really are. They, the, the leader right now and showing how to push back on China and how economic warfare can be done by democracies. Right. That's a good point. Well, to take those hits. Yeah. It's like when, it's like when Canada under Stephen Harper was like, it was like a leading light on yeah. foreign policy and national security. Yeah. Like what Canada? <laughs> Are, her state? Really? The Mounties involved? But didn't they do that <laughs> France by changing their contract for the submarine? Was there really? <laughs> didn't they did this while everyone was locked in their houses? Oh, because yeah, of exactly. yeah. uh, Martha Miller. So perhaps not the biggest national security surprise. Okay. My answer is twofold. One is, my surprise, the Democrats did not support sanctioning Nord Stream 2 on the, mm. in the defense bill mm. in the Senate. They did shut down Keystone, which is always so. Keystone's good. <laughs> pipelines at home, Keystone's bad. Yeah. Russian yeah. gas pipelines. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's all, all good, fine. Right? It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> so that, that was a surprise here at home. Um, I would say, you know, a, a positive surprise was the Green Party uh, going into government in Germany. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Annalena Baerbach has led the charge within Germany against Nord Stream Two. Mm-hmm. She's I was confused. How are you getting the good, the good part of the Green Party coming into government? I'm like, <laughs> I can't. This, I'm not this, sure. this, this, this is, is not your father's Green Party. This is not your father's Green Party. They are All no longer. Uh, they're no longer uh, out there protesting against the United States. Mm-hmm. They are. They are a strong voice within Germany against uh, authoritarianism in Russia, authoritarianism in China. Um, and so it'll be interesting to watch how this shakes out uh, in the coming months uh, between her leadership as foreign minister and Schultz as chancellor from the SPD mm-hmm. party, mm-hmm. which supports Machine too. <laughs> Very good. Uh, Rob, your biggest surprise. So I think I heard the question incorrectly last time. So my biggest surprise was the Biden administration not filling its national security positions rapidly and at a pace uh, that we expected to see from professional, you know, experience and teams. Um, so then let me go back and say my biggest story, I think, and, and I, this will um, expose my homeland roots here, is the complete disregard for border enforcement um, at the southwest border and uh, the, the compounding uh, second and third order effects that that presents. I mean, we've got 
now we've got immigrants coming across the border from multiple areas around the globe, multiple nationalities, multiple races uh, that are not being tested for COVID. And we're still, you know, talking about locking down Americans and, and, and keeping ourselves you know, sequestered, sequestered and, and quarantined from COVID. Yet we're not testing those folks coming across the border illegally. We've also got now an administration going against one of its own uh, federal law enforcement apparatus with a completely made up and mischaracterized story from a single photo. I'm talking about the horse, quote unquote, whipping incident from the Haitian migration from uh, August, if memory serves correctly. When the journalist who took the photo uh, has spoken on the record saying, no, there was no whipping whatsoever. It was a spinning of the reins. Um, hmm. So it, it just you get all of these incremental Seemingly, to Carmen's point, small micro, you know, micro steps and issues that begin to erode at the institutional understanding of, you know, a, a, a sovereign nation is not sovereign if it can't enforce its own borders, if it can't determine who's allowed to come in legally and lawfully, uh, if it doesn't support its own national security and law enforcement apparatus. Um, so I, I'm wondering if, you know, if this wasn't in some part partially planned, partially, um, you know, on their on their mind from the beginning and that, and I haven't even mentioned the fact, I, I guess I will now the vice president is then put in charge of solving. <laughs> Thanks Jamil. Solving the push factors uh, gets interviewed six weeks later. And have you been to the Southwest border and then tries to pivot towards, well, I haven't even been to Europe. Well, that in itself is a, it's a problem. <laughs> You're the VP being in, being in the seat for five months now, haven't been to Europe either. Um, but ma- Madam Vice President, you were put in charge of solving the Southwest border issue and you haven't even been to see the scope of the issue. Uh, so that just, that also shows me there's a strong disconnect in, in this administration with reality. Like the, the DC bubble matters so much to them and making sure we get all of the right talking points and all the right people in place, uh, you know, and all the right press coverage, but getting out to see just the fundamental problem set on the ground, just, it, it, it frustrates me that, that she would answer something like that so flippantly uh, when, you know, she was publicly acknowledged as, as the, the, the head of the fix of the solution. Well, can I ask you a question about this? Please. So you mentioned this point about, about sort of COVID testing at the border of yeah. illegal immigrants. And I mean, look, I, I don't, I don't disagree. We need to do a better job on border enforcement and have for a long time, but I mean, no president in modern history has been able to solve the challenges of southern border and prevent. Right. And frankly, there are economic reasons why we actually want some level of quote unquote, illegal immigrant immigration into the country yep. uh, to take certain farm agricultural jobs and the like. Um, but and to understand how how would you implement the COVID test the border of the illegals? We can't catch them and stop them. We we we're going to COVID test them. Like what am I? What am well, I, I mean, that's two different populations here, Jamil. You you can COVID test the ones you catch. Obviously, you can't. So we're we're COVID testing the them, right? We are COVID testing them, aren't we? Yes. Okay. To to a, I, I don't think it's as broad as we, in fact, test the border mm-hmm. patrol. And, and granted, I think we should be testing and vaccinating the border patrol. You know, it's for their own good and for the good of the the law enforcement entity. But I don't. I can't speak with certainty that we are 100% testing every yeah. legal or non-legal crosser of the border, nor can I attest to the fact that we are mandating vaccines onto those individuals mm. coming across the border. Matt Ferraro, you're the pivot here, so we need to hear <laughs> the, the biggest surprise story of 2021, and then you get to do our first prediction for next year. Uh, I prefer fulcrum. Uh, <laughs> the, the amazing competence of my administration. Let me, let me just... 
I've been most surprised by the expansion of what we mean when we say national security mm. to encompass more and more things. I think that's my big surprise this oh, year. Gosh. And it means everything from supply chain to pharmaceuticals to um, semiconductor trips, uh, critical minerals, and to include antitrust. Uh, sure, antitrust. Uh, yeah, that was a, that was a big NSI initiative right. for the last few right. months was the connection between There were so, so many installments this week. Many. I mean, Installment number eight. And I would just say on this that I think that there are, the causes are fairly obvious. The pandemic being one, the rise of China being another, and also the simple fact that to for the government to play a greater role in all of these things, they have to be classified as national security issues. That's where mm-hmm. like the, the government's uh, prerogatives lie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I don't see that changing going forward. And actually, to, to your point less before, I think that is something that we saw beginning in the Trump administration and continuing now in the Biden administration and indeed, I think, globally. Rob, your, yes. uh, your prediction, predict one thing that will happen next year. Um, I think Jamil hit on it earlier, and I think we're seeing it unfold before our eyes, and that is that China, if not a full invasion, will rehearse an invasion of Taiwan. Martha. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that Joe Biden will become more hawkish in in, in the lead up to the midterms and in response to the criticism he received for Afghanistan and the more recent uh, talks with Putin. Any thought as to where he demonstrates this hawkishness? Well, we'll see. I don't know. Uh, he, he'll have to first demonstrate it, in my opinion, uh, and with Europe. Right. Okay. Andrea. So I, I like to do this more like optimistic. So go climate change. That's going to be bad. So we're not going to go down that route. Um, I think we're going to see just some interesting shifts in alliances. Some of the, so we're finally going to start seeing, especially hopefully among democracies, different kinds of techno, supply chain, so forth, collaborative efforts going on. We're already seeing a couple of the quads starting to gain more power out there. With the, some of the democracies, we had uh, U.S., Denmark, Norway, and Australia start talking about coordinating their export controls. Mm-hmm. So I think we're going to start seeing some more interesting ways that democracies are finally, hopefully, going to start pushing back together as a collective resilience uh, against this authoritarian wave that's been going for the last decade. Mm-hmm. Jamil, crystal ball. I think we will see a crippling cyber attack somewhere in the globe uh, fomented by a nation state that masquerading as a criminal attack. That's easy, man. <laughs> we haven't seen it. Like we, we, we got close. close. We got close. We got pipeline. We didn't. It didn't happen. Is it, Ru- is it Russia? Is Russia masquerading as the uh... Russia or China? It'll be Russia or China. And it may not. It may not be intentional. Look at not Petra, right? I mean, there's a case yeah. where Russia's going up against Ukraine, tried to have a narrow focused attack, caused ten billion dollars in damage worldwide unintentionally. Collateral damage is the problem. Um, I do think this will have some level of intentionality to it, and it'll be a nation state acting through a proxy. Uh, like a criminal hacker gang. Well, they've bought their, some of their, uh, their their exploits through a private company. And that's where I think they're right. Andy Kaiser. Okay, mine's building off of Martha's. I think, you know, the some of the uh, history of the Fault Lines podcast is to discuss the political divide between right and left. So I'll stick to that theme. Um, the House will be retaken by the Republican Party, which will be the best thing that ever happened to Joe Biden. Because he can tell the left that, sorry, it's not my fault. It was bad guys. Now he can be who he wants to be, in my view, which is somewhere in the middle and, and likely in a more hawkish huh. position uh, going forward, particularly after that. But I think even as, it, as that date gets closer and becomes more inevitable. Same 
the Bill Clinton model, you know, yeah, triangulate. Yeah. Carmen. I think one thing that will happen next year is that we will have an orange revolution, by which I mean a people-led revolution, bottom-up, grassroots, in a Western, more or less, democracy. Might be in Mm. Latin America, a place like Argentina, might Mm. be in Asia, or someplace else. I think that, you know, building on my farmers Mm-hmm. and this sort of self-organizing. And I think we should look seriously at what happened mostly in California a couple of weeks ago where people use social media to self-organize and overwhelm security guards at Best Buy or Nordstrom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can only do that once, mm-hmm. but if you're smart and, and organize it at scale and know what you're doing, I think you can create a lot of havoc. So that's my prediction. Matthew. We're going to continue to see a complete reshaping of diplomatic relations in the Middle East. Uh, this week, we saw the Israelis mm-hmm. meet with the UAE. Out Go to the UAE. Yeah. yeah. To the UAE. Not and we're going to see more of that in 2022. And I will predict that there will be full diplomatic relations and exchange of ambassadors between Israel and Saudi Arabia, oh. which will be a momentous event. It would, before the king dies or after and the king dies? Um, I double think prediction. Be, I, right, right. I who's who's facilitating the king's death? <laughs> <laughs> I think it could before the king really? dies. Ah. And all of this is the result of Iran and the election yeah. this year of a hardliner and their continued bad acts in the region. Yeah. And so we're going to just see more of it. And it's going to become normal mm-hmm. that the Israelis are showing up in Arabic capitals with their full diplomatic teams. And as a result, the Palestinian issue will continue to recede into the background. You Can think- we also give credit to Robert O'Brien and the national security apparatus from the Trump administration for the Abraham Accords? I, I, it's yeah, not I, entirely on I Iran. Will give, I will give us. <laughs> yeah, I'll give a certain amount of credit. Um, but it's it's sort of uh, in my view, this is a good thing. And yeah. victory has many fathers, yes. whether it's the badness of Iran or the recognition, I think, of a lot of Arabic states that, you know what? Our economies are moribund. We need the genius and energy of the Israelis and what they can offer to us and FDI. You know, some part of the credit goes to Robert O'Brien and Brian Hook and folks like that. Jared Kushner. About and Jared Kushner. To a certain extent. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is. But, so. but, but that's the dynamic. <laughs> in the it's hard to say, but it's true. And I'll say, no one would have predicted this four years ago. <laughs> no, not now. No, 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 Go ahead. I'm sorry. I mean, I was just, like, the other thing I would add is, is the strength of Israel. And I just yeah. think a, yeah. the, yes. the bipartisan commitment to Israel's national security over decades mm-hmm. has given Israel like, the means to, to basically uh, the, the, the room, room to maneuver. And, and, and also informalizing relationships that were there, right? That's exactly. That's a and, lot of these exchanges have been going on for that's decades. Right. And credit to the Israeli democracy where they had to go yes. through three or four deadlocked elections. Oh my gosh. And they're still yes. able to get stuff done on the international stage. Now, do you think the Israelis will make as, and the Arabs may be together, the Arab states will make a demonstration project Lebanon? which is hmm. in such a horrible, horrible state right yeah. now. I mean, it's really a bad situation. And, of course, by trying to stabilize Lebanon, you are, in fact, 
sort of in conflict with Hezbollah, yes. right? Yes. You yes. know, and, and that might be well. that might be a convenient thing, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, to yeah. do. So yeah. that's my 2023. <laughs> <laughs> Slow down, Carmen. <laughs> Didn't MBS sort of try to do that when he invited the prime minister yeah. to visit yeah. for a while and <clears throat> didn't let him leave? <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> You're good. You should stay. You're my guest. You stay as long as I want you to. The Ritz is very long. The Ritz is very nice. Just ask about my cousins. <laughs> All right. My my prediction for next year is the end of the International Olympic Committee. Wholesale mm. uh, oh, wow. changes in the Olympics. Nobody wants the Olympics to happen in February of 2022 no, in Beijing. Correct. Beijing doesn't want them. The corporate sponsors the don't want it to happen. The athletes are in a hell of a pickle because they got to uh, do the IOC now. itself now has yeah. nowhere good to go on this thing. And one one of the amazing aspects of the sports story is that it is all led by women, mm-hmm. right? We saw in professional sports in this country, the WNBA became very political last year to a huge effect. Uh, it was uh, the women's gymnastics team yes. that got outraged at, the U- at their organization, their U.S. organization, yeah. because of the yeah. probations yeah. of uh, that doctor and some other folks. We're seeing the, the Women's Tennis Association. Which is amazing. Yeah. And, and if you and somebody picked Elon Musk to be the. Ridiculous. The guard or, or the police officer yeah. at the Capitol who, who, who prevented worse things from happening. It could also be the Women's Tennis Association yeah. of yes. the United States yeah. uh, for, for doing the right thing. Unlike the, unlike the NBA, game. to be clear, exactly. which has been exactly. a, which has been a, with a national embarrassment. With the exception of the, yeah. the NBA. Yeah. And, so I think, yeah. and so I think we're going to see something happen in Beijing in February, probably led by female athletes. Hmm to protest the outrageous behavior of the Chinese government on any number of fronts. And I think this is going to be the end of the modern Olympic movement as we know it. Wow. And we're going to have to scramble to put it back together after this. Fight. I don't know. They survived yeah. Hitler and, and Jesse Owens. I mean, I, and mm-hmm. it's, yeah, but the women weren't involved then. Now they are. And they're not going to put up with this nonsense anymore. <laughs> Just back yeah. to Athens every yeah. year. Every year. <laughs> every year. That one worked out so well. Run <laughs> right. a marathon. Exactly. Keep it real. It may return to amateur status, not these uh, pros going in. All right. That's a wrap. Thanks, everybody. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Yeah. As always, Fault Lines is produced by the National Security Institute. Find out more about the Institute and upcoming events at nationalsecurity.gmu.edu. If you have any topics you'd like us to cover, send us an email at nsi at gmu.edu or tweet us at MasonNetSec. If you like what we are doing here, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so that more people can find our show. We'd like to thank Claude Jennings for editing and the terrific stars of the NSI staff, Ruth Joe, Maeve Cronin, and Jessica Jones for production assistance. Thank you for tuning in and joining us this past year and be sure to tune in for more provocative conversations and further analysis of national security's fault lines.